0: Good evening. Is everyone well? Everyone doing okay? Well, this evening we are in Second Chronicles and in chapter 17. And for the next, well, this evening and next week, we'll be looking at the life of King Jehoshaphat and his reign as King of Judah. I think the lesson, more than anything else, for us, is that it matters who you spend time with. The book of Proverbs tells us that bad company corrupts good morals. My grandma used to say it like this, show me your friends and I'll tell you who you are. You know, when you spend time with the wrong kind of people, you become the wrong kind of people. And what I found is that, well, I found this out very early on as a Christian when I gave my life to the Lord. I had a lot of friends, but not all of them continued to remain my friends because they were trying to drag me into things that Quite frankly, I didn't want to do anymore. And I lost some friends, or at least I stopped spending time with them. But I gained a whole lot of new friends, amen, (laughs) in church. And then you have a family in Christ. And it's not that we don't want to be friends with those in the world, but we can't be friends with the world. And so if someone is open to being close to you and respects your values and doesn't try to sway you, you can certainly have a relationship with them. But when someone will drag you down to their level, When someone will bring you away from God and try to tempt you and test you and keep you from being the person that God has called you to be, then you really have no other choice but to separate yourself. For the Bible talks about this when the Lord said to Israel, come out from among them and be ye separate. So this evening, we're going to look at the life of Jehoshaphat, at least the first part of his life. And as we do, we're going to learn a valuable lesson, the lesson of what happens in your life when you spend time with bad company. Let's pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we ask that you would speak to our hearts this evening as we open your word and as we spend this time in your word. May we receive knowledge and wisdom and understanding from your word and by your spirit. Give us the ability to apply this wisdom, knowledge, and understanding to our lives in real time as we have opportunity to live our lives for you in this world. Guide us and lead us and bring us to a place where we can live our lives among the world and those in the world but for your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, let's just look at the first two verses in chapter 17 of Second Chronicles. We see there that Jehoshaphat, Asa's son, it says his son, but Asa's son succeeded him as king and strengthened himself against Israel. And he stationed troops in all the fortified cities of Judah and put garrisons in Judah and in the towns of Ephraim that his father Asa had captured. So the first thing we see is that Jehoshaphat ascended to the throne. Now, we'll learn this later on. It's actually a little strange how they put this at the end of his life. But uh, we learn in chapter 20, verse 31, that Jehoshaphat, whose name actually means he whom Jehovah judges, Jehoshaphat reigned as king for about 25 years. Uh, He was 35 years old when he became king. And his father Asa had ruled for 41 years. But he was severely ill toward the end of his life. So this man actually ascended to the throne as what we call co-regent. Co-regent is when you have two leaders. One is either incapacitated or reigning or doing something other than leading the nation. Uh, And so you have a co-regent for three years prior to his father's death because his father had become ill. His father was still the high king, but he became the functional leader of the kingdom of Judah. Uh, We learn in 1 Kings that uh, his mother's name was Azubah, And so we find out a little bit of information from kings further on in this chapter that helps us to set up his reign and his ascent to the throne. But what we also learn in these first two verses is that he strengthened the military might of Judah against the northern kingdom of Israel. So he really brought the kingdom further than even Asa had brought the kingdom. And Asa was king, as we said, for quite a while, 41 years. So this is a time where you actually have two relatively good kings in a row. Uh, that hadn't happened just yet. And so th- this is a good time. This is an era of good feeling. This is a time where God is working among his people. But this man, as we'll learn in just a minute, was fully devoted to the Lord as God, at least early in his reign. For we read in verses 3 through 11, of that same chapter, that the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because in his early years he walked in the ways his father David had followed. He did not consult the Baals, which were the false gods, but sought the Lord, the God of his father, and followed his commands rather than the practices of Israel, which was the northern kingdom. He's the king over Judah, the southern kingdom. Well, the Lord established the kingdom under his control, and all of Judah brought gifts to Jehoshaphat so that he had great wealth and honor. And his heart was devoted to the ways of the Lord. Furthermore, he removed the high places and the Asherah poles from Judah, those places of idolatry. And in the third year of his reign, he sent his officials Ben-Hel, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nathanael, and uh, Micaiah to teach in the towns of Judah. And with them were certain Levites. That would be not priests, but those that assist the priests. Shemaiah, Netaniah, Zebediah, Asial, Shemarath, and Jehonathan, Adonijah, Tobaj, and Tob, Adonijah, and the priests Elishamah and Joram. They taught throughout Judah, taking with them the book of the law of the Lord. They went around to all the towns of Judah and taught the people. And the fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdoms of the land surrounding Judah, so that they did not make war with Jehoshaphat. And some Philistines brought Jehoshaphat gifts and silver as tribute. And the Arabs brought him flocks, 7,700 rams and 7,700 goats. So this is a time of peace because the people are seeking the Lord. And the king is seeking the Lord and serving the Lord. He was fully devoted to the Lord as God. He responded to the godly influence of his father Asa. Now, his father Asa had some problems at the end of his life. He became filled with pride. But he had a whole lifetime of a good example from his dad. And he did follow that example. He also followed the example of his forefather David early in his reign. And David is, as I've said before, the gold standard by which God judges or compares all of the kings of the kingdom of Judah. Now, the Lord established him and provided his kingdom. And he had wealth and honor. And I want to say this, especially as it relates to nations, and kingdoms, and rulers. When a kingdom, a nation, or a country is experiencing prosperity and blessing, it's almost always because they're serving the Lord and God is blessing them. So conversely, when a nation is poor and destitute and going through all types of problems, generally, that has a lot to do with the fact that their hearts are far from God. Now, that may not be true in every circumstance, but I can tell you the people suffer when the people don't serve the Lord. And our nation is suffering now because as a nation, we're not serving the Lord. There are many people turning their hearts back to God and conservative values. And I suspect in the near future, we'll see some of God's blessing as a result. But when a nation turns its back on God, it suffers in a number of ways The two ways you can always expect, first, there's war, conflict, and secondly, there's a lack of prosperity. Those are general rules in the scripture we see as it relates to the nations. Now, individuals are treated, according to God's grace and his mercy, as individuals. But as nations, we see God's blessing on nations that serve him and his judgment against those that don't. So, he removed and destroyed the places of idol worship in the land of Judah, much as his father had done. Uh, And he cleansed the land of all the detestable practices of the Canaanites. Now in 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 46, we're told this specifically. He expelled homosexual prostitution from the land of Judah. That had become a problem because according to the practices of the pagans, many, many times they engaged in all manner of detestable behavior. And homosexuality was among those behaviors, prostitution as well. But he would not tolerate it. And we're told that not here in Second Chronicles, but in First Kings 22. He removed pagan culture given over to idolatry, sensuality, and sexuality. If we continue to celebrate idolatry, sensuality, and sexuality as a nation, we will suffer. We are suffering the consequences of that in our nation even today. We certainly are. Amen? But don't give up hope. We keep praying for hearts to be turned back to God and for us to abandon this rejection as a people, to abandon this rejection of, of good, godly values. But if this man was committed to teaching the people the law of the Lord, I think our nation took a nosedive when things like prayer, I believe it was 1963, when prayer was pushed out of our schools— But even after that, for a while, uh, the things of God could be taught in schools. Now they can't be, at least not in every school. But the problem becomes, when you have institutions of higher learning and elementary schools and even preschools teaching debauchery and evil and not the law of the Lord, then, of course, the people's hearts are corrupted. But wait a minute, was your heart corrupted at one time? Probably, if your heart was like mine. And you turned your heart to the Lord. So all of this indoctrination that the left and the wickedness in this nation is trying to do doesn't trump God's ability to reach the heart. In fact, I want to say something. We go back to the 60s, which was a real turning point in our nation, turning point towards uh, lasciviousness and and wickedness. That was also, in the year I was born, in 1965, the beginnings of the Jesus movement. When God began to reach those very same sinners who are living very worldly and wicked lives. So don't be so sure that everything is horrible just because wickedness is being celebrated. God has a way of turning those things that man means for evil to good. Okay? Well, this was a good time in the nation. This time that Jehoshaphat was king. Because he was committed to teaching the people the law of the Lord, he sent people out to teach God's word. Now, listen, that is the single most important thing we can do for our culture. You teach God's word. Because the word of God convicts the heart. And then the heart can repent and change. And come to God and be blessed. And then so goes the nation. But isn't it interesting that in our world today... Not only the people in the world, in public education and in universities, are are, are avoiding or pushing aside the word of God. Churches are now, for some time, pushing aside the word of God in favor of entertainment or embracing doctrines that are doctrines of demons. I read an article just today. I believe it's one of the evangelical Lutheran denominations that believes that abortion should be available to all people. I don't know how a church says something like that. I really don't. But this is a church that embraces transgenderism and also embraces uh, gender confusion and and all of these things that, that we know are wicked and evil. So are you surprised? Of course not. But what's upsetting is that when the church, and I say the church, that is God's people, the church embraces this wickedness What hope is there for our nation? Well, the good news is that there are still churches teaching the word of God. And many of those churches are filling up because people want the truth. It's a wonderful commodity today to get the truth. You can't get it on the news. You can't get it in our culture, but you can get it from the word of God. Amen. And so we got to keep doing what Jehoshaphat did. Teach the people the word of God. And what was the result? Well, the Lord brought him peace with the surrounding nations. So that's what we're looking for, God's blessings. He also strengthened the military might of Judah against Israel. As we read, he stationed, uh, or actually we're about to read, he stationed men in the fortified cities. Look at verse 12. In verse 12, it says, Jehoshaphat became more and more powerful. He built forts and store cities in Judah. He had large supplies in the towns of Judah. He also kept experienced fighting men in Jerusalem. Uh, their enrollment by families was as follows. From Judah, commanders of units of 1,000. Adnah, the commander, with 300,000 fighting men. Next, Jehanahan, the commander, with 280,000. Next, Amasiah, son of Zikri, who volunteered himself for the service of the Lord, with 200,000. And from Benjamin, which was the other major tribe in the nation or kingdom of Judah. From Benjamin, Eliada, a valiant soldier with 200,000 men armed with bows and shields, and next Jehoshaphat with 180,000 men armed for battle. These were the men who served the king besides those he stationed in the fortified cities throughout Judah. So a strong defense, a strong military, but peace. I believe in the 80s we called this peace through strength, and it would be a good way to go, wouldn't it? Peace through strength, having the strength to protect your nation, but not having to use that strength militarily because you want peace. Unfortunately, in our world, many of the nations that build up their military want to use it. I have to say this about our nation. For the most part, throughout our history, we have exercised great restraint with our military might, even though we've always had, for the most part, a great military, and especially over the last 50 years or so, a very strong military, we exercise restraint and thank God for that. But that that is what you had here. He stationed men in the fortified cities and he had an army of over one million in Jerusalem with five divisions, three in Judah and two in Benjamin. So a very strong nation at this time. And now we're going to read a little bit about something that took place. And this is where he got himself into trouble. And I know people that are just so nice. I don't think that I'm necessarily one of those people. But I know some people who are very, very nice. Like that, they're describing, oh, he, he's so nice, she's so nice. And you know, I think Jehoshaphat might have been a really nice guy. And really nice people have to be careful. Because you can be so nice that you give the devil a cup of coffee. You have to be careful. You have to be very careful about who you spend time with. And being nice to everyone, well, that's that's a very noble aspiration. But there are some people you can't be nice to, you can't spend time with. They're wicked. And you have to be very careful. You have to be wise as serpents, gentle as doves. And a lot of times people are very gentle as doves, but they're not wise. They allow themselves to be influenced by or connected to people that are wicked. So... Let's read verse 1 of it, chapter 18. We read now, Jehoshaphat had great wealth and honor. We've read that already. Remember, all the people came and they, and they brought him uh, wealth. And, and he was incredibly wealthy. And uh, this continued. Now, Jehoshaphat had great wealth and honor. And he aligned himself with Ahab by marriage. That is, he had his son marry the daughter of King Ahab. Who's King Ahab? He is the king of the northern kingdom of Israel. Idolaters, wicked People. He allied himself with Ahab. Now, if you know anything about the northern kingdom of Israel, we don't talk too much about the northern kingdom of Israel in the books of the Chronicles. But in the Kings, you go back and forth between Judah and Israel, you learn a lot about this man. Uh, I don't want to get into much beyond what's covered here in this chapter, but this was a problem because he forged, that is, Jehoshaphat forged an alliance with the king of Israel through marriage of their children. His son, Jehoram, had married Ahab's daughter, Athaliah. Now, here's the thing about Athaliah. You may not know too much about Ahab, but he was a wicked man. But Athaliah's mother, I know you'll know the name. Her name was Jezebel. That No one names their daughter Jezebel or their son Judas. Can you imagine having a baby dedication? Oh, what's the child's name? Judas that would never happen. Judah, yes. Judah, yes, but not Judas because that's associated with one of the most wicked men that ever lived. Well, Jezebel is kind of the same idea. You know, you, you, you might call your child Jesse or Bell, but not Jezebel, right? So this is a name that has so much wickedness associated with it. So imagine the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel, Athaliah, marrying Jehoshaphat's son. That's not going to work out real well, as we'll see. But the United... Kingdoms of Israel and Judah came together with an alliance after many years of division, and they did this through marriage. Now, you might be saying, Oh, how nice. Really? Nice? To marry into a pagan family, to make an alliance with pagan people who are idolaters? And we know how wicked from the books of, of Kings, from first Kings, we know just how wicked Ahab and Jezebel were. So, that was a mistake, and it's going to get him into trouble, and we're going to see some of that this evening. But you have to credit his ability to bring peace with Israel. And that was a testimony to his statesmanship. He didn't love war. He loved peace. And for that, he's credited. But you can't have peace at the sake of your convictions. Oh, why can't we just get along with everyone? Well, we can't get along with everyone, not with individuals who promote wickedness and evil and murdering unborn children, I mean, we can be respectful to people we disagree with, but we can't just, well, I see your point. Well, you know, let's just try to agree to disagree. No, there's none of that. As we said on Sunday, we're not going to bow. We're not going to do that. Well, Ahab had a plan. He conspired to take Ramoth Gilead from the king of Aram or Syria. And he has this plan and he gets, I want to call him naive or gullible, or let's just say nice very nice King Jehoshaphat. He gets him involved. Let's read. I'm going to read verses 2 through 15 so we get the whole account. In verse 2, we read this. Some years later, he went down to visit Ahab in Samaria. Ahab slaughtered many sheep and cattle for him and the people with him, uh, for him and the people with him, and urged him to attack Ramoth Gilead. Ahab, king of Israel, asked Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, will you go with me against Ramoth Gilead. Well, let's just stop a minute right there, because you may not know much about Ramoth Gilead, but uh, Ramoth Gilead was uh, an important fortress. It was east of the Jordan in the land of Gilead, Transjordan area. And it was an important area. Uh, It was a city of refuge. It formerly belonged to the tribe of Gad, and they wanted this because it was a strategic location, okay? So that's the plan. Jehoshaphat replied, I am as you are, and my people as your people. We will join you in the war. But Jehoshaphat also said to the king of Israel, first seek the counsel of the Lord. So it was a stupid move to say yes, but it was a good move to seek the Lord. Bless you. So the king of Israel brought together the prophets, 400 men, and asked them, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead? Or shall I refrain? Go, they answered, for God will give it into the king's hand. But Jehoshaphat asked, is there not a prophet of Jehovah here? whom we can inquire of? The king of Israel answered Jehoshaphat, there is still one man through whom we can inquire of Jehovah, but I hate him because he never prophesies anything good about me, but always bad. He is Micaiah, son of Imlah. The king should not say that, Jehoshaphat replied. See what I mean? He's just kind of a nice guy. Well, so the king of Israel called one of his officials and said, "Bring Micaiah, son of Imlod, once dressed in their royal robes, the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones at the threshing floor by the entrance of the gate of Samaria with all the prophets prophesying before them. Now this becomes a circus because in the next verse we learn in verse 10, Now Zedekiah, son of Kenanah, uh made, had made iron horns, and he declared, this is what the Lord says, with these you will gore the Arameans until they are destroyed. All the other prophets were prophesying the same thing, attack Ramoth Gilead and be victorious, they said, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. The messenger who had gone to summon Micaiah said to him, look, as one man, the other prophets are predicting success for the king. Let your word agree with theirs and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, I like this guy. He wasn't so nice. As surely as the Lord lives, I can tell him only what my God says. And when he arrived, the king asked him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? And here's what he said. Attack and be victorious, he answered, for they will be given into your hand. But the king said to him, How many times must I make you swear to tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? So I just want to stop there for a minute. It's clear, based on his reaction, that Micaiah said it in a very sarcastic way. Like, he asked him the question, and you can only imagine Micaiah saying something like, Oh, attack and be victorious. He answered, For they will be given into your hand. Like, obviously not telling the truth. That is being facetious, or that is being sarcastic. And you know he was being sarcastic because the king knew he was being sarcastic. Okay? And actually, he already said he was only going to tell the truth. So why would he say that? Well, it was a lie, but the way he said it, it wasn't a lie. It was a way of telling the truth and convicting the king. Okay? So I wanted to explain that first. Let's back up a minute and see what's going on here. Listen, the kingdom of Israel had been at peace with the kingdom of Aaron for the last three years. They had. Ah, Ahab had signed a treaty with Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, after he had defeated him. And Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, came to Samaria to visit with him after three years of peace. So this is a diplomatic visit. But Ahab proposed that Israel and Judah end or break their truce with Aram by retaking this strategic city of Ramoth-Gilead. Jehoshaphat was willing to honor their alliance if the Lord Jehovah approved. Now, we know what happened. He was a good and godly king, but he had allied himself with a wicked king. And therein lies the problem. And that's the application for tonight. Recognize if you spend time as a good and godly person with wicked people, you will become like them. Because as I said in opening, what? Bad company corrupts good morals. And that is a problem. So, he knew that they needed to seek the Lord and then respond to his will. So Ahab sought to confirm the Lord's will through 400 false prophets. 400. One wasn't enough. 400. Now, by the way, these 400 men are probably the prophets of Asherah that were summoned by Elijah. There were prophets of Asherah and prophets of Baal. You remember, Elijah killed the prophets of Baal. But there were prophets of Asherah as well, and they were in 1 Kings chapter 18, uh, recorded for us in verse 19... But these 400 men claimed to speak for the Lord. The word for Lord, though, is Adonai, not Jehovah. So they refused to use the name of God because they really weren't prophets of the Lord. They were prophets of false gods. But Jehoshaphat refused to believe the word of these 400 false prophets, to his credit. But why is he even having a conversation with this guy? Well, he may be nice, but what he's doing is wrong. Again, I'm not sitting here telling you not to be nice. I'm telling you to be nice when you can, but when you can't, walk away. Don't find yourself in alliances or relationships with people that will drag you down. Ahab had purposely not summoned Micaiah, the prophet, if you notice. He left him out. I think we might want to close the windows now just because a a bug or a bee is flying in here. and That wouldn't be good. Thank you. I'm sorry to do that to you guys. Thank you so much. It's nice out there, though, isn't it? So Ahab had purposely not summoned Micaiah the prophet. He hated him. Why did he hate him? Because he didn't want to hear the truth. People don't want to hear the truth when they don't like what you're saying. Have you noticed that people hate us today? Why do you think they hate us? Because we're preaching the truth. Why do you think the world hates Christians so much? Because deep down inside, they know it's true, that what we're saying is true, and they don't want to hear it. They stop their ears. They, they don't want to hear what we have to say. If, we, if they really didn't think that what we were saying was true, they would just ignore us. But you can't ignore the truth. And so what we experience is hate from our enemies, from the wicked who hate us. This man was not interested in the word of the Lord, Jehovah. But you notice Jehoshaphat corrected Ahab for slandering Micaiah the prophet. He did open his mouth. I give him credit but why is he even having the conversation? You can do all the right things, say all the right things, believe all the right things, and be in the wrong place at the wrong time and suffer for it. That's what is about to happen to this man. So Ahab reluctantly summoned Micaiah the prophet in order to appease this king Jehoshaphat because he needed him. This is about manipulation now. The 400 false prophets continued to confirm the Lord's will while they waited for Micaiah. Now one of the lead prophets... Resorted to using ridiculous props to impress the kings. He puts these iron horns on. He's walking around like a bull. Um, yeah, well, we'll leave that alone. He was determined to faithfully communicate uh, what he believed his king wanted him to communicate. So he was lying, and he was doing it in a very theatrical way. But he was wrong, and he was evil. And he was leading people astray. Now, they all claimed to speak in the name of Jehovah at this point in verse 11. In order to reassure Jehovah, oh, no, 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 no. The Lord has told us this too. We are are definitely, uh, we're going to go ahead and we're going to be victorious. The Lord is telling us that too. But the messenger that summoned Micaiah pressured him to agree with these 400 false prophets. Come on. Don't go against them. Just get in line. Just to, Just say what they're saying so we can be done with this. Pressure. Manipulation. To get a man of God to say what people want to hear. I know that's hard to imagine. But that's what was going on, right? That's what's going on today. I'm just not built that way. I'm just not the kind of person that can be pressured to say something that isn't true, to lie to people, or to go with the crowd. I, I've never been that kind of person, and I never will be. And I'm glad, because I don't want to be that kind of person. I'm right there with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to be honest. I'm not bowing. No way. Hope they'll put you to death. Then put me to death, but I would rather die on my feet than live on my knees. Well, he refused to succumb to the pressure that was put on him by these ungodly men. He was determined to faithfully communicate the word of the Lord, regardless of their pressure. And then... Ahab sought to confirm the Lord's will through Micaiah, and as I've already said, Micaiah mocked the king by repeating the foolish counsel of the 400 false prophets, and he knew right away. Ahab knew immediately that Micaiah was mocking them because of his tone, I'm sure, and because of the way he said it. Micaiah, as I've said, had sarcastically told Ahab exactly what he wanted to hear, and he had done this before. That's why I said, how many times have I told you only to tell me the truth? Well, when he tells them the truth, he doesn't like it. So they go, oh, well, I'll tell you what you want to hear. You ever done that? Someone asks you a question, and they know what you're going to say. But you say, do you want me to tell you what, do you, want me to tell you, what you want to hear? And you, and you tell them. And they know that that's not what you're telling them to do. And, and it convicts them, actually. But Ahab insisted. He really did want to hear the word of the Lord this time. Well, he's going to. In verse 16. In verses 16 and 17, the word of the Lord, to Ahab, king of Israel, comes through Micaiah, the prophet. Micaiah's name means who is like God. And of course, no one is like God. Certainly not the 400 false prophets. We read, uh, picking it up in verse 16 Then Micaiah answered, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, These people have no master. Let each one go home in peace. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, didn't I tell you that he never prophesied anything good about me, but only bad? I mean, if he's a prophet of the Lord and he's telling you the truth, what's the problem? It's amazing. People want to believe what they want to believe. They will lie to themselves, lie to others, and believe it. Have you seen it? I've seen it. I've seen it. You've seen it. It's sad, really. Micaiah prophesied against this king and his plan. He's saying your plan is going to fail. Your plan to attack Ramath Gilead is going to end in disaster. He predicted that Ahab would be killed if they attacked the city. But Ahab refused to believe the word of the Lord through Micaiah the prophet. The Lord was still pleading with him. Did you notice that? He hadn't given up on this king. He was still pleading with Ahab to repent of his foolishness and serve him. But he won't listen to reason. I know it's really hard to imagine an example in our world today of a leader that's doing something incredibly foolish, but won't listen to reason. Take your pick of leaders in our world today, in our nation, in Russia, throughout the world, who are foolish enough to continue going in the wrong direction when everyone's telling them what the right direction is. That's what happens when you reject God, when you defy his word and refuse to listen. That was Ahab's problem. Not Jehoshaphat, but Ahab's problem. Well, Micaiah described the scene in heaven. He's about to. And in this scene, you have to understand it's very similar to the scene in the court of Samaria. So he looks at what's going on in the court and he describes a heavenly version of it. And it's pretty interesting. Uh, and I, I think it's, it's described for the benefit of understanding how things work in the spirit realm, but also to help the king to see what was going on right in front of him in his very own court. Look at verses 18 through 22. Micaiah continued, that means he's not done yet. Therefore, I, or therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the host of heaven standing on his right and on his left. Now remember, there's the king surrounded by four hundred prophets. So it's a very similar scene. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab, king of Israel, into attacking Ramath Gilead and going to his death there? One suggested this and another that, and finally a spirit came forward. And stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. By what means, the Lord asked, I will go and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. There's a lot of sarcasm here in this message. You have to understand. It really is a mocking tone. Uh, I like this guy. I really do. I have to be honest. I like him. Because the way he gets the message across, he's, he's got this little bit of sarcasm, not a little bit actually, quite a bit of sarcasm, and he's mocking, but he's getting his message across and trying to reach the king with the truth. So whether or not, how can I say this? I'm sure that what we're reading here happened and happens, but whether or not it was happening or not isn't the point. The point is, he's describing a heavenly scene that would hopefully convict the king. So he says, uh, I will go, the spirit said, I will go and be a lying spirit in the mouths of all his prophets. He said, you will succeed in enticing him, said the Lord, go and do it. That's pretty, that's pretty crazy, right? And it goes on to say, so now the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouths of these prophets of yours. The Lord has decreed disaster for you. So that analogy, that account, that vision into heaven, that very similarly parallels what was happening in that court is designed for him to recognize you're being lied to. You know, it said You can tell people who made a mistake in their vote in the last election, you were lied to. And they'll say, oh, no, 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 no. No, 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 it's not the administration's fault. They told you one thing and did another. You've been lied to. Oh, no, 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 we haven't been lied to. You know, what do you have to do to make people see the truth? I don't understand. Some people will just believe a lie. And you know, the Bible talks about minds being given over to a reprobate mind, right? Or, uh, to believe a lie in the last days. We're seeing it today. People just believe whatever they want to believe. You can put on certain news stations and they lie all day. And people lap it up and say, oh yeah, well that's the truth. Because they want it to be true. I'm not trying to get political. I'm telling you, people are lying to you. They're lying to you. Don't believe it. And it's sad because the kings were being lied to by these liars. And in this heavenly scene, the prophet revealed that the Lord had allowed a lying spirit to entice him, that is the king, King Ahab, to attack Ramoth Gilead. Evil spirits, This we do know from this account, evil spirits stand before the Lord's throne in heaven. I don't understand why, but they do. Satan has appeared before the Lord's throne in the past. You can read about that in the book of Job in chapters 1 and 2, and in Zechariah chapter 3. And he has access to accuse us before the Lord's throne even now. Read about that in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. So, yes, they can appear before God's throne. The Lord allows evil spirits to work in this world, but it all works together for his sovereign purpose. Think about Saul. In First Samuel chapter sixteen, verse fourteen, where he was, the Lord allowed a, a, a spirit to trouble him. That was working toward bringing David into the kingdom. God works through evil things, but He's not the author of evil things, and He doesn't motivate or control evil spirits. He lets them work, but even what they do, God works for good. Amen. We know that. He can work all things together for good. So he, he has this lying spirit. He allows this lying spirit to go and lie to the king because he wants to be lied to. And God works his will through that lying spirit. But please, God doesn't ordain lying spirits. He just allows Satan, demons, lying spirits to do what they want to do. And then God works it all into his perfect will because that's how sovereign he is. He's sovereign. So understand that. But it's an interesting picture into the spiritual realm that we are given here. He revealed that a lying spirit was speaking through these 400 false prophets, and the Lord is again giving Ahab an opportunity to to repent and be saved from death. But he doesn't take it. He wants to be lied to. Please lie to me some more. He got 400 guys lying to him. And he probably knows the truth. Now he definitely knows the truth, but he doesn't want to believe it. The Lord knew that Ahab would reject this morning, but God gave it anyway. Amen? See, don't you love that? That even when someone rejects the truth, it's not because they weren't given the truth. God is so gracious and loving, he gives the truth to people that want to be lied to. They reject the truth and they suffer for it, but it's not because God is not good. Amen? Please understand that. Well, next in verses 23 through 27, Micaiah is treated very badly. For what? For telling the truth. Get used to seeing that in our world. People who tell the truth are treated very badly. I just want to use an example, and I'm not necessarily a huge fan or anything, but, you know, I've been reading some of the comments by Elon Musk. I've just been reading some of the things he's saying. And you know what, to tell you the truth, I mean, he's not a godly man, but he's speaking truth, right? And wow, boy, did the world turn on him. He was the king of, you know, the electric car, and everybody loved him, until he started speaking the truth, and now, you know, now they all hate him. They want him to drop dead and say as much. Don't speak the truth if you, if you want to be liked. Don't speak the truth. Well, here's what we read in verse 23 Then Zedekiah, son of uh, Kenanah, went up and slapped Micaiah in the face. That sounds familiar. Didn't that happen recently on television? Oh, yeah, okay, all right, no. Then Zedekiah, son of Canaan, went up and slapped Micaiah in the face. Which way did the spirit from the Lord go when he went from me to speak to you, he asked. (laughs) Micaiah replied, you will find out on the day you go and hide in an inner room. The king of Israel then ordered, take Micaiah and send him back to Ammon, the ruler of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say... This is what the king says, put this fellow in prison and give him nothing but bread and water until I return safely. Again, why I like this guy. Micaiah declared, if you ever return safely, the Lord has not spoken through me. Then he added, mark my words, all you people. Again, I like this guy, I really do. He Speaks the truth, not afraid to speak truth to power. But he was slapped and imprisoned for speaking the truth. He predicted that Zedekiah would hide in an inner room for fear of his life, that guy with the horns on his head, you know. And he confirmed that Ahab would not return safely from the battle of Ramoth-Gilead. So you're thinking, well, maybe they'll think twice? Of course not. People want to be lied to. But I want to point out, as we get to the end of our study, I want to point out that he was treated the same way that Jesus was treated in his trial before the Sanhedrin. Look at the parallels. Micaiah was struck as he stood before them. He was called a liar and a blasphemer by them. He was put in prison and after being unjustly tried by them. And he declared the coming judgment and pleaded with those that rejected him. So he did everything that Jesus later did and was treated in the same way that Jesus was treated. But you're, you know, it's not going to happen to you. Because we live in the United States of America. If you tell the truth... Preach the word of God, nothing bad's ever going to happen to you. Now, I'm being like Micaiah. I'm being sarcastic. I am saying something in a mocking tone to make my point. When people talk like that, they're living in a dream world. They're living in a fantasy world. You are going to suffer for speaking the truth in a world like this. But will you speak the truth? Or will you be nice? Well, that's your decision. I know where I stand. Ahab died, and that's probably something that could have been avoided. But we read in verses 28 through 34, and actually we'll just read 28 through 32, and and check this out. You gotta believe that Jehoshaphat was a little naive, right? So the king of Judah, and and Jehoshaphat, king uh, king of Israel, And Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will enter the battle in disguise, but you wear your royal robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. I mean, really? Okay. So now the king of Aram had ordered his chariot commanders, do not fight with anyone small or great except the king of Israel. When the chariot commanders saw Jehoshaphat, they thought this is the king of Israel. So they turned to attack him, but Jehoshaphat cried out, and the Lord helped him. God drew them away from him. For when the chariot commanders saw that he was not the king of Israel, they stopped pursuing him. See, they didn't want, really, they really didn't want to fight with Judah. Remember how strong Judah was? Wealthy, and he had honor, strong military. They really didn't want to pick a fight with him. They wanted to take out Ahab. This would be cutting the head off the snake. They wanted to just stop Ahab from this plan, and they knew Jehoshaphat would go away. So this is actually very strategic. It's actually very smart on the part of the Arameans. But Jehoshaphat went with Ahab into battle despite the word of the Lord from Micaiah the prophet. Wait a minute, what just happened? He asked for a prophet. The prophet comes, gives him the truth, right? They imprison the prophet. What does Jehoshaphat do? He should have gotten his chariot and gone home. But no, What he said, well, you know, I, just gotta, I guess I just got to be nice. Better just go with the plan. Even though he knew clearly that it was wrong. Does that bother anyone or just me? He asked to know the truth. He was told the truth. He knew it was the truth. And he still did a stupid thing anyway. Does that sound like anyone you've ever met in your life? I know far too many people like this. And it's very sad. Really sad, actually. He ignored the word of the Lord. And he allowed Ahab to use him as a decoy. Never a good idea. He was nearly killed because he defied the Lord and trusted Ahab with his life. He should have chosen his friends more wisely. Amen? He should have. But you know how good God is? God is so good that he intervened to save him from his foolishness. Praise God. See, even when we're foolish, and he was foolish, even when we're disobedient, and we're many times disobedient, even when we know the truth and we don't do what's right, God is good to us. Amen? And God was good to Jehoshaphat because he was a good man. I'm not saying he wasn't a good man. Just when it came to his relationship with Ahab, he was not very smart. Not the sharpest tool in the shed. Well, Ahab died exactly as the Lord had predicted. Of course. Look at verse 33. But someone drew his bow at random and hit the king of Israel between the sections of his armor. The king told the chariot driver, wheel around and get me out of the fighting. I've been wounded. All day long the battle raged and the king of Israel propped himself up in his chariot facing the Aramaeans until evening... Then at sunset, he died. Is that what God said would happen? Say amen. You know, when you get the truth from God's word, don't doubt it. Act on it. Apply it to your life. Ahab died exactly as the Lord had predicted. He was, check this out, wounded by a random arrow and bled to death while watching the battle. He trusted in his own cleverness for protection against Micaiah's prophecy. He's thinking, oh, I'll put Jehoshaphat in the position they'll think he's me. But that didn't work out because a random occurrence took place. Are there any random occurrences in this world? Not really. The book of Proverbs tells us that the uh, lot is cast in the lap, but the decision is of the Lord. That is, you can flip a coin, roll a die, and think, oh, that was a random decision. Nothing is random in this world. God is in control. He is sovereign over all. Amen? Amen? Well, we know that the blood from his wound ran onto the floor of the chariot, we're told in 1 Kings chapter 22. And the army of Israel retreated after they realized Ahab had died. But Elijah the prophet, again this goes back to 1 Kings 22, he had actually predicted that Ahab would be killed and that the dogs would lick up his blood. And you read about this in 1 Kings 22, they bring the chariot back and they wash it out And the dogs come and lick up his blood. Just like Elijah said. You can't escape the truth of God's word. What God's word says is true. Amen. And it's going to happen no matter how many times people lie to themselves. Or turn on channels that lie to them all day. God's truth is truth. Amen. Amen. Please understand that. Well then we read the last three verses tonight. When Jehoshaphat king of Judah returned safely to his palace in Jerusalem, and that's God's grace, right? Jehu the seer, the son of Hanani, went out to meet him and said to the king, should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? And then some very nice person probably said, of course, absolutely, we have to help everybody. No. Look at the question from the prophet. Should you help the wicked And love those who hate the Lord? That's a rhetorical question. You know the answer to that, right? Because of this, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. There is, however, some good in you. For you have rid the land of the Asherah poles and have set your heart on seeking God. So because he was a good man, God blessed him. But he wasn't very shrewd. He was pretty dumb when it came to who he spent time with, and the things he did, and the decisions he made. He allowed himself to be good to the wicked, because the prophet said, should you help the wicked? Now you might be saying, well, you know, we want to help them. Yes, 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 to a point, but not to the point where you do wickedness with them. Should you help the wicked? Help them not to be wicked, but not help them to be wicked. And love those who hate the Lord? Love them, but don't love them because of what they do or allow them to continue to hate the Lord. This man was way off base, and this describes a lot of very, very nice people who love God but just don't have the wherewithal to be like Micaiah, tell the truth, and get in people's faces with it. I think it's very important that we stand strong. This king was rebuked by Jehu the seer for making an alliance with a man like Ahab. This alliance involved the tragic marriage of his son, Athaliah, the daughter of Jezebel. He allowed his son to be married to Athaliah, the daughter of Jezebel. It ultimately entangled him, as we'll see, in three specific incidents with three of the wicked kings of Israel. He didn't learn his lesson. He didn't. And the Lord was extremely angry with him for his betrayal. You know, God is angry when you do stupid things. Because he loves you so much, he doesn't want you to suffer for your sin. But when you choose to sin, you invoke the Lord's anger. He's angry at sin. He loves you, but he's angry at what you do because he hates that. He hates sin. He loves you. He hates sin. Oh, God never gets angry with me. Loving parents. Got a few loving parents here today. Ever been angry with your children who you love more than life itself? Ever been angry? Nah, that never happened. You're too nice. No, you've been angry because you love them. God is angry with us when we make dumb decisions like this because he knows it could jeopardize us. But he was commended for His steadfast devotion to the Lord. So as we close our study, let's realize something. You can be too nice. That is, you can embrace the world and the wicked and the ungodly. You you could love those who, who don't serve God. But if you step over the line and align yourself to be unequally yoked with those who hate God and do wicked things, you will suffer for it, and you will invoke the anger of the Lord. So how do we please God? By keeping his commandments. By obeying him. Be careful who you spend time with. If you are going to spend time with the wicked, make sure you're bringing them up and not them bringing you down. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this valuable lesson, this application this evening. May we live our lives for you. May we be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. May we live our lives in ways that honor you. And may we allow you to work through our hearts and guide us and lead us. But when we receive your word, may we know your truth and live for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.